Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 206 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I have a great interview with Evan Dom, the creator of a really novel comic series that comes out in trade paperback and webcomic form called Vatu. And that's spelled V as in Victor, A, T as in Thomas, T as in Thomas, U as in Ulysses. And there are two volumes. The first volume is already available. And the second volume is being supported by a new Kickstarter. So if you go to kickstarter.com and look up V-A-T-T-U, you'll see the first successful Kickstarter project and the one that's currently underway. That Kickstarter will end on Thursday, December 17th at 9.10 in the morning, Eastern Time. And we talk about how he does everything in this book from concept all the way through till getting it printed and being put out online as a webcomic. It's a very interesting book with a female lead character, which of course I always enjoy, and lots of interesting commentary on our life through an alien environment. So I'm sure you're going to want to hear what he has to say. There's a lot to get to, as always, so let's get on with the show. Welcome to the podcast, Evan Dom, creator of the great book Vatu, which is a wonderful fantasy about things in an in alternate universe, and it's focused on a great female character. How are you doing today, Evan? I'm good. How are you? Good. Now, let's go ahead and jump right into the fact that you have a Kickstarter going, because I always like to focus <laughs> on those things as soon as I can. This book has been out. You're, the first volume's out. Second volume, now you're doing a Kickstarter for. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Kickstarter? Yeah. So I've been publishing Vatu online for a little over five years. It's a sort of enormous, I guess, fantasy adventure biography story about a girl from a nomadic society who's abducted into a Roman Empire-type civilization. And it's all set in a fantasy world full of weird creatures. But the second book of four is what I'm raising money for now, and pre-orders are open for it. I printed the first one, 
think about two years ago. But there's going to be four of the same format by the time it's done in a few more years. Now, the first one was subtitled The Name and the Mark. Mm-hmm. What's the subtitle for the second one that you're doing right now? The Sword and the Sacrament. Mm-hmm. And I think if you just look up Vatu, V-A-T-T-U, on Kickstarter, it shows up. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the characters and things like that, because you've got a wide variety of civilizations going on, and, of course, there's all kinds of allusions to us and things that we can relate to going on. As far as the design goes, because you do the whole book yourself, you, mm-hmm. you write, you draw, you color, you letter, the whole business is all you. Where did the, the ideas for the characters come from? The actual shape of them is mostly just uh, I doodle around and see what fits. Occasionally something will like show up to me fully formed. Mm-hmm. But mostly it's a question of like going back and forth between story concerns and the drawing and strengthening parts of it here and there, which is a really an exact way of answering that. Mm-hmm. This book in particular, it's really concerned with sort of intersections of a lot of different cultures and how they bump into each other and how they articulate themselves. So each of them, I tried to design the type or the kind of creature that they are, mm-hmm. and then their architecture and their clothing and their art, all of it sort of of a piece consistent with their place in the story and what they mean, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a back and forth thing, and, and it's something that I can definitely get way too obsessive in working on. <laughs> well, now, where did the concept for Vatu come from? It's the third major book that I've done in this setting called Overside. The first two are called Rice Boy and Order of Tales, and those are, I feel like, much much more straightforward hero's journey, mm-hmm. fantasy adventure stories. So Vatu's working with a lot of the same raw material of those because it's set in the same world. But it's totally self-contained, and I feel like it grew out of an interest in history more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to really communicate what these different sort of cultural perspectives of the different characters mean. And that's a little sort of abstract, but that's my starting point. You know, I always have a core idea that I try to keep connected to throughout a story. Mm-hmm. Now, she's, of course, a female in there. And one of the pivotal things that we move forward through the book is that people who are involved with her from other tribes and other groups, they don't quite know that she's a female. They think that she's a male. I was really interested because it seems to me that that's kind of talking about our society today and the business of gender identity and things like that. Was that a comment on society? It may not have started out that way. I don't remember. But with all this sort of thing, you know, maybe it starts out with just something that occurs to you like, oh, maybe this would be interesting if it fit together this way. And then, you know, I'll think about it and it will have a political implication and I'll try to say something smarter or more considered with it. In this particular instance, I guess with oversight generally and with non-human characters, especially when they're in a setting that I'm so consciously trying to make alien and unfamiliar, I really am hesitant to rely on any of the standard cartoon gender signifiers like eyelashes and bows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because it's all contingent, it's all made up, and it's all politically regressive. So it kind of makes sense for the people in the world itself to be a little unable to recognize the gender cues of one culture when it's not their culture. I've tried not to rely on specific cartoony gender signifiers and tried to have each culture say its thing in a self-contained kind of a way. Mm -hmm. And the domineering patriarchal society, assuming that Vatu is a male, it just makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. That's what people in our culture right now do too, because we're a patriarchal culture. We just assume that something is a male unless otherwise 
mm-hmm. notified, which is a really interesting thing to me. Yeah. Well, you also choose different kinds of creatures that Vatu interacts with. I'm really fascinated by the fact that you have a group that are dogs, and they're not necessarily nice, you know, because we look at dogs and kind of think that they're really nice creatures and nice animals and things. And what happens is that these are a much more variety of creatures than I expected. Did you do some research on that? Did you intend for them to be this diverse? How did that happen? My initial concern when I was thinking about what they would look like was just basically designing them in opposition to the fluters, which mm-hmm. is Vatu's people. Mm-hmm. So the first hundred-something pages are just in the world of the fluters, and their idyllic, totally isolated, nature-focused mm-hmm. world that they live in, mm-hmm. setting that up as the point of view of the reader for the entire rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And then we meet the Satans, the imperial civilization, and I wanted them to be like really different from the fluters and taller and Im- more imposing. Yeah, I don't know. Them looking like dogs made sense to me. They seem like tough and severe by comparison to me because of that. Well, sometimes animals like that can be more savage. Mm. And so maybe that's yeah, what you're trying to communicate. And you, you know, you're always playing with what you assume the assumptions of the reader is mm-hmm. on those choices. So. Mm-hmm. And then another character comes in the first book is the Warmen, who I really like. They've got, uh, you know, a kind of a blank face with a hood on top, and, you know, one of them actually befriends Vatu, which is kind of interesting, too. The idea of the Warmen, because the, the concept of war is a little foreign to, the, to Vatu and his tribe. You know, were they something specific that you were talking about in society? Not in any, like, allegorical sense, I don't think. So the Warmen, they come from a continent where everyone is assumed to be mute, like they can't talk. Mm. And a bunch of them have been captured by the Satans, the Empire. And I thought it was an interesting starting point to introduce Vatu to the Empire and then have another point of view of some other peoples who had also been integrated to it in a a much different way. Mm -hmm. And they don't have a name themselves because they can't speak, so Warmen is just a reductive thing that the Empire calls them. And that's, they're all that way. They're all called that because they don't have individual names, but other people call them that. That's not the name that they have for themselves, even, it seems like. Yeah, they, well, they, don't have, they wouldn't have a name. Mm-hmm, which is really cool. So I, I like the variety that you do with the different characters, from the fluters to the war men to all the other people. Every one of them is, is uniquely different from each other. And I really enjoy the way that they interact with each other and the fact that they bring in Vatu and she basically ends up becoming a servant right off the bat because they Mm -hmm. look at her race. They kind of, they're integrating their tribes of her people into their society. And of course, they start at the lower portion of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the way that that happens. We get to see her view of society as somebody who is down on the uh, uh, is, is a lower level who sees the upper people, including like the war men. She actually starts to train with them, which is an important part of the story in the second book, particularly. Mm-hmm. I, it's such an interesting thing to me because, you know, Vatu doesn't seem in any way to have any interest in war, and yet she ends up learning how to fight. And I, I just thought that was a really interesting development in her character. <laughs> cool. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's just something amazing to me. Another thing about her that's really interesting to me, too, is the, are the symbols that her society puts on their own foreheads. And mm-hmm. she has a unique one that she paints on her own forehead which she does on occasion. She doesn't always wear it. Sometimes, depending on the circumstance, she doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I like that, too, because that's a real way, interesting way within their own tribe to identify 
who they are. Are those symbols, do they indicate function? Do they indicate person? How, what was the point of those symbols? What happened with that? They're meant to be that culture's, like, the most central and intimate presentation of yourself. Like, it is your name, it's your face. Without it, you are um, either an infant who has not been dignified with uh, a name and humanity or a total outcast. Mm -hmm. That was sort of my starting point with that idea. And then the story, as I've been working on it for five years now, and it's sort of the whole story has turned out to be very much about how people situate themselves within culture and how people represent themselves and think that they fit into their whole world. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of spun out from my thinking about what it would mean to have your most intimate sense of self be a thing on your face that can be removed in any moment. Mm -hmm. Wow, because it's something that she puts it on. It <laughs> When she starts putting it on her forehead, does that indicate something that she's getting in for ready for battle? Does that get she's trying to show who she is? When she starts doing that, why is she putting those back on her forehead? I guess it's a nostalgia or it's a security thing. Like she's had to give up so much of herself living in this basically fugitive, totally constant, like in this, this totally like isolated from her history way. So it's getting back in touch with herself. Okay. In other words, she's returning to who she really is at her core. Yeah. I like the way that she kind of, she's a lot craftier than they give her credit for. Yeah. Which one of the <laughs> great things about it is they underestimate her quite a lot. And she really is somebody who can figure out what's happening quite well, even though she comes from basically a naturistic tribe. You know, she lives out in nature and fields and stuff. And she was originally intended to be a hunter. She's now learning politics. Mm -hmm. And I just think that learning how to interact and talk with people like that, there's a lot more to her that she may never have ever discovered if she hadn't been taken to the city. Mm -hmm. Is that because her tribe, there is a lot more potential than they even realize? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're just people, right? I mean, they're all, you know, funny shapes and different species and all that. But they're all people. And a, cent and a, and a central point of what I'm trying to say, maybe, with the story mm -hmm. is that it's all culturally contingent. Like, the culture puts people in a certain place and emphasizes certain skills, but that's not who anybody is, mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. Well, it's important, I think, that for us to realize that we're more than what people think we are. And I really think that she's learning that, kind of the hard way, unfortunately, but she has become a character who's going to, you know, obviously in the second book, she meets up another younger female, which I really liked. That that, that character is another great character, and the two of them interact real well. And there's this all, I love the way you've taken certain things and certain words and, and made them, uh, there's like unweight is a word of an element which, and mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil that, but this is a great thing that's involved. She becomes involved in this other girl's society because it might help them get back to their own people, mm -hmm. which I really liked in the, in the second book. is just terrific. That's why I'm looking forward to having that in print for that reason because it's, it's a very strong story in the way that they do that. So uh, there's a lot of science going on, and you know there's there's so much good things that are done, and, and we as outsiders can kind of relate to that and get the message from the way that you're writing it. So I, I think it's really terrific stuff. I really like. Thank the you way so much. Going. Now, as far as like the coloring goes, because you do a really interesting job of coloring too. When they're out in nature, it's mostly oranges and greens, and then when they get into the city, it becomes a lot different in the in the way that it's seen. Uh, mm -hmm. much more colors that, that we're used to. Did you want to specifically communicate something with those colors? In a way, yeah. I've always been really into like super overt color coding. Mm. 
Like there's a lot of, you know, characters have certain colors that they're associated with. And the story is very much about different little cultures and how they bump into each other. And each one of those I've developed an entire aesthetic for. And I try to keep that pretty consistent so that there's a real like tone and uh, aesthetic to each place in the city that you're in and each people that you're with. Mm -hmm. Color is really important to me. And I love getting like super nitpicky with it like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Well, it really makes it a very appealing book to read because you, you shift colors depending on the circumstance. But it's always a fascinating visually thing to look at and to see how Vatu looks in a different circumstances. She's much darker in certain places, you know, just because it's a dark circumstance. But then other times, her eyes seem to be brighter than the rest of her body. And mm-hmm. you're using those to communicate what the circumstances it feels like. So I really like that. Thank you. I feel like a, a strong sense of atmosphere and light is like the most important thing in color to me well it's good stuff because the things are are very engrossing you know when i started to read it and you know admittedly there's a lot of pages in this book you know (laughs) what couple what how many pages are in each volume uh i just cleared 700 total altogether yeah yeah, each book is so far around 300 pages i don't know exactly how it'll shake out when it's all done Mm mm-hmm but the, it runs real quickly. You go through the pages like nothing because there's all kinds of interesting things going. There's very little in the way of breaks or slowdowns as far mm. as the story goes, which I really like because, you know, honestly, a 300-page comic, I would struggle to get through those. I've never been interested in super text-heavy comics. That seems like, I don't know, it's a way of using the medium that doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to do, like, really visual storytelling. It ends up feeling quicker than 700 pages is, but I feel like maybe richer and more visual mm-hmm. than it otherwise would be. I, I, I'm happy with it, at least. <laughs> but you know, as a comic reader, you know, that's the kind of stuff I think, and of course, even on television, the old adage is, you know, show me, don't tell me. Mm-hmm. So the way that you're doing it, and your lettering is, is a little larger, which makes it a little easier to read, which I like, and there's all these aspects make it a real visual experience. That, you know, I don't get much in comics anymore. You know, I'll open up a comic and I'll look at it and I'll see all this text, you know, in blobs all over the page. And I go, oh, my goodness, how am I going to get through all that? And but you can show with text in a way. That's a across-the-board good idea in writing, I think, show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. But maybe the biggest appeal to me of comics is that you can do so much of the work sort of subliminally and visually without calling direct attention to it. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're like building a setting that is unusual or not relying on pre-existing stuff. You can do a lot of the work just by communicating clearly, visually, mm-hmm. just sort of on the side of the narrative. And that is something I really tried to do. Mm-hmm. Now, to get, of course, the copies of these good things, if you help with uh, Kickstarter, you, do you give out issues one as well as number two as far as uh, the benefits? Yes. Mm-hmm. That is the way to get all of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw you at, at uh, the Heroes Con in North Carolina this year. Mm-hmm. Do you do a lot of conventions, or do you kind of do them sporadically? I do a bunch of them. I did like 12 this year, wow. which is – I don't think I'm going to do that many next year. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm probably going to do a lot fewer mm-hmm. conventions in 2016, but still – a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm tending more and more towards the smaller and more creator-focused ones. I like SPX a lot. I just did Mice in Cambridge, which was great. Mm-hmm. But generally, the ones that are like 
small and really community and, and creator oriented. That's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm definitely doing Emerald City in Seattle next year, which is not that at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a great show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great, great. Well, are you going to do Heroes again? I'm not sure yet. Maybe. Okay. Okay. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were there also. We were debuting our. We do an independent book. My roommate and I. I'm, I'm kind of the editor. He's more the creator of it. So, but yeah, we we were there, and that's how we got to to meet you, and I got to see your stuff, which I really liked. I wanted to also say I really like. There are a lot of touching moments in these books. Towards the end of book one. There's a war man who is in the kind of the same situation that Vatu is. And there's this wonderful sequence where the war man, who's, you know, war man, we expect him to be sort of brutal mm-hmm. and stuff. But there's a place where he sort of reaches out to Vatu. And I just thought that was the greatest thing. I was, I was against my expectations of what a war man would do. <laughs> and it was so, you know, sympathetic and touching the way that that was done. I love the way that you drew it, and the color, of course, was in a sort of a dark. They, they didn't want other people to see him. And I really love the way that that little touching moment happened. And there's a lot of that in the books. You know, you've got violence as well. There's one where the, one of the people gets punched, and you see the blood flying. It's never like comic book violence. You must show that it really hurts when people punch each other, yeah, which I liked. I, I don't know. I don't get anything out of violence in this sort of story. I feel like if it's there... It has to have like a story purpose and it has to, I don't know, the brutality of it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to me. I've only been thinking about this lately, I guess. It's weird to me that genre fiction in particular is just expected to be like inherently about warfare and violence and stuff. Yep. So when I have that in this story, I, I've been trying to do it in like a really like a super dramatic almost like classical painting way not really like a, isn't this fun all this violence mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. Does that makes sense i'm still working out that idea consciously yeah. i don't know have you ever read the book concrete oh yeah a little of it yeah cuz i get a lot of the concrete vibe in these cool. books and i loved paul chadwick's concrete i thought it was just wonderful you know it's, it's as far as drama goes, I think something that's dramatic can be more important than something that's violent. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was just talking about that little sequence where the war man kind of reaches out to Vatu. That's a very dramatic sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it brings our feelings out towards what's going on, and we, we become invested and involved in it. And there's a lot of that that goes on in this book. And the way that you've written these things, you make things happen that help us get into the story, which I really, really love. That's when I first got the book. I was I, I have to tell you, the way that I was recommended to your stuff was that I, I, we were at a booth next to somebody else, and he came back and he had your book. And he says, I can't wait to read this book because it looks so interesting. And I, So I ran over and I got it because I said, you know, based on what he was talking to, when I got a chance to take a quick glance at it, I was like, this is something different, very interesting. So I love the concrete feel to it. We need more of that, to be honest with you, I think, as far as comics go. And oh, so I, I, no, I encourage you to keep doing these good things because, man, it's really wonderful stuff. I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. Because <laughs> yeah. I hope that you'll inspire other people to do more dramatic series instead of other things you know instead of punching and kicking as it were i would much rather have something that draws us into the story and you know when you get to the end of the book you go oh no it's the last page you know kind of thing you know the i mean the internet is a good thing for that there's a lot of work being made not just in comics but that has found like a sustainable foothold for people 
because of the internet that that wouldn't necessarily have been supported by um, a publisher or something in the in the before times. So mm-hmm. it's a cool time if you're looking for new directions for that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think like web comics are the way of the future by any chance? Or yeah, I mean, more and more, I don't know what that is right now. Mm-hmm. It feels like. So when it, when I started Rice Boy in 2006, it definitely felt more like they were the way of the future. Now, like it's just an enormous scene, and it's a thing that publishers have started to capitalize on. It's like a part of the present now. It's here to stay as a publishing model mm-hmm. and as a way for people to get their work out there. And I think it's like the best time ever to be self-publishing. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know what it means to say that they're the wave of the future. I think that they're just, they're what's here now. <laughs> well, maybe it's one of the waves of the future because uh, I always like to say that I wish Kickstarter had come around earlier because there were a lot of people who had a lot of good stories, but they could never get past the, you know, like, like say, get into DC or Marvel to get those stories told. Yeah, and it's getting easier and easier to do that, I think. Yeah, because I, I just think that, uh, like, like with Vatu and things like this, these are the kinds of things that you probably couldn't get DC or Marvel to be interested in. Oh, those guys never. I don't think that any self-respecting publisher would have been into it on like my pitch for it. Like it's a very, you know, sprawling, weird story. Mm-hmm. But if I can, you know, make it and make my case for it and let people read it without paying for it, then, you know, that's the only way that I have any sustainability for what I'm doing at all, basically. Well, see, it's, it's so cool that you get to do this and you get to Kickstarter it and you put it out on the web, which develops an audience for you. And all these good things are happening and we get to enjoy Vatu because of these kinds of things. <laughs> and, you know, I, I always ask questions of people if they think that digital is the wave of the future. But it may be that this aspect of digital is the wave of your future, is the way to get these things out to the internet rather than through, say, a digital comic. Maybe I should try to do digital comics more. It's not something that I've ever like understood. Mm-hmm. And books, book sales have always been like a, the central way that I make money at this. But you know, it's a web comic. Like that is a digital comic. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little bit of a false divide. Like what I'm doing is digital comics. And then I print books of them, and there's a couple thousand books, and so they're print comics too, but not like a lot of print comics, just like a couple thousand out there in the world. So you're kind of doing what DC does. They have digital first books, and mm-hmm. their books come out, and what they've often gotten me to do is to buy their digital comics, like say at 99 cents each. Then when they come out in paper form, I'll buy the paper form because I like them so much I want them in paper form too. That makes sense to me. The whole like direct market monthly comic thing is feels like just disastrously obsolete now kind of mm-hmm. like it's they they cost more to make than they're sold for mm-hmm. it feels like people more and more don't want the experience of owning just floppy comics like they want the entire story in a book or something that's a little more like finished mm-hmm. now that we can read it other ways without having to commit to owning something mm-hmm. So it's a weird time. I'm excited to see where all this is in like, you know, five years. Mm-hmm. I wish I could tell you. And I always ask people <laughs> and nobody has been able to tell me. We're all surprised at what's been happening and what will happen. So, you know, yeah, I, I don't think paper will ever completely go away, but I think that it will become less. I think you're right that volumes will be more than individual comics is what we'll see. Yeah. And you're seeing like books that really emphasize like being a beautiful object, mm-hmm. like a smaller print run, but fancier 
books. I feel like that's kind of a direction that a lot of uh, smaller publishers are going in, at least. Well, Vatu is a wonderful book, and Volume 2, I had a chance to read it through the webcomics way, and it's a great book. A lot of wonderful, interesting things happen in Book 2, and I even got, and I, I couldn't stop and went all the way to part of Book 3 that's out there. <laughs> so I really highly recommend that people support this book. Go out to Kickstarter and find Vatu and support it and get the books and if you want to read the webcomic too if you can't wait like I couldn't go out there and get those things because there's wonderful stuff Vatu is updated a few times a week at rice-boy.com and that's where all my other comics are too okay and highly recommend people check it out So, now are there other projects you're working on or is Vatu keeping you busy these days? That is the main thing I've been off and on working on an illustrated edition of Moby Dick mm. I did the same thing with Wizard of Oz last year but that's at mobydickillustrated.tumblr.com and you know i do little illustration projects here and there but the, the comic is the main thing right now well not everybody can do all the aspects of a comic and make it work like you do i think it's great the way that you do it every aspect of it this has your fingerprints on it and i just think that it's great stuff and I want to see you do more of these good things in the future. When this gets over with, I hope you have another story you want to tell us. Because Vatu is great oh, yeah. stuff. It's just great <laughs> I, stuff. I don't think I'll run out. <laughs> well, much success, Evan, as you go forward. And, man, I can't wait to see some more good stuff. I can't wait for uh, book two to come out. Because, man, I'm dying to have that in my library. So, good, good, good thing. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. that's it for this week. Be sure to be back next time when I'll have another great interview with yet another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics. by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.